0: Gather around the tree in this pre-Christmas episode as we are joined by Aaron Miller, a newly elected county commissioner in Murray County, who discusses his successful efforts to thwart an unconscionable catalog of inappropriate books for children in the Murray County Public Library. Aaron also examines the foundations of our battle against the rising tide of Marxism, and we close with some rather depressing news about how your tax money and the retirement accounts of the U.S. military continues to fund the CCP. My name is Kevin Cookagee and with my good friend Gary Humble, this is the Freedom Matters Podcast. So, Gary, I know you like to start with a quiz
1: every week. You know it's my favorite thing to do. I look forward to
0: this every I've, time I come into the room. I've got What's a, Kevin got for me today? I've got a really easy one for you. Thank, thank Go, God. <laughs> going lightly on you because it's Christmas week. <laughs> okay. Um, now that you said that, hopefully I get this right. Yes, of course. <laughs> Everybody in our audience is going to know the answer okay. to this, but it but it leads us always leads us somewhere. All right, Gary, it's a two part quiz. Mm. First of all, tell us what an EUA is, or what the EUA is.
1: Uh yeah, emergency use authorization. So uh, the the drug is definitely not FDA approved. Uh, in my opinion, no one should be even thinking about putting this thing in their body. But it's a uh, Gives the government or or an entity the the go-ahead, gives the pharmaceutical company the go-ahead to uh, use this whatever concoction they're doing in an emergency. And to use it
0: without what kind of ramifications?
1: Well, really without any liability whatsoever, right? Without any liability? I I think so, right? I mean, do they have any liability
0: under EUA? They have no civil liability. Okay. But you know what they still have? Uh,
1: I I see where you're going with this.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Criminal liability. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, this is the good news. And, of course, it's coming out of the state of Florida, where most of the good news comes today. Uh, Last week, by the time we hear this, last week, Ron DeSantis— If
1: you can prove gross negligence. Can we well, prove?
0: Do you think we can prove gross <laughs> negligence here, Kevin? Well, listen to where I'm going. I think this, we're on the way. This is yeah. This is what's exciting is that we have a man with courage who's going to take this on. So last week, in the state of Florida, uh, Ron DeSantis announced following a um, a panel. There was it was it was a video Zoom and public in person panel where he was announcing, and I'll quote it, I'm announcing a petition with the Supreme Court of Florida to impanel a statewide grand jury to investigate any and all wrongdoing with respect to the COVID-19 vaccines. This, by the way, I'm reading uh, mostly from a special report from Jordan Schachtel, any of you who get his piece on the dossier. So Jordan Schachtel was given an interview after this process, and um, DeSantis, what's interesting about that is Schachtel asked him, are you specifically going after Pfizer and Moderna? And he said, well, absolutely, but we should look beyond that, and we will look beyond that because, quote, there were a lot of fraudulent representations made with the government health institutions. Governor DeSantis said that Dr. Fauci, the CDC director, and the many others – who, getting back to the standard of care, grossly misrepresented claims about the supposedly safe and effective shots that were fraudulently marketed as providing immunity and blocking transmission. Governor added that the vaccine mandates were based on premises that turned out to be not accurate. So he said the reach and scope of this is to be far broader than just big pharma. And he acknowledges, of course, that They're all going to try to quash this process. But he says, remember that their liability protection or their immunity from liability does not extend to criminal. It's only a civil protection. Mm -hmm. He says, we have a lot more heft than a congressional committee would anyway, because this is a criminal process, not civil. Then, here's the key point how we relate it to Tennessee. He says, I think we're going to have some states join this, what he calls a shadow CDC. I've talked to some of them about it, and I think there is a hunger, although he acknowledged the challenge, because some people in these states have their—within the own government of these states probably wouldn't support it. And he's referring to the various agencies, or if the governor supports, the legislature Mm -hmm. won't, or the legislature and the governor won't. So, Gary, I'll end this segment with another (laughs) quiz question. Do you think the state of Tennessee, whether it's the legislature, the governor, or maybe— Maybe our only hope here is our new attorney general, right? Would join a process like this. He he is at least given us hope that he has a little more courage and and moral courage to to do this. But what do you think?
1: It would be quite a a turn. It would be an about face for anyone, in my opinion, or any let me say collection of folks, a, a committee, or the state senate, or the governor's office. Uh, It would be an about-face at this point for them to join this effort, I think. We've mentioned this more than once in our show, and I've I've mentioned it a couple of times just in in commentaries I've written in the prior weeks, um, hearkening back to, again, this letter that was drafted on July 21st, 2021, uh, by our state Senate, signed by not only our lieutenant governor, but the Senate Majority Leader, and all the way on down, 16 state senators strongly urging in a letter all Tennesseans to get the shot. Why? Well, because over 600,000 people have already died and you've got to get the shot. You know, this was on the heels also of the governor in a press conference stating that this vaccine would not cure selfishness and indifference because people didn't want to wear masks. So I, I'm not saying that we won't. I agree with you. I would say if there was one person or one department that would, I would imagine it would be the Attorney General, Jonathan Scremetti. But when it comes to forming a, a grand jury of our peers and whatnot, it's really not his function. So it would, I think, require the legislature uh, or some part of the legislature to step up. And certainly – let me just say this. I'll, I'll close with this. The other issue here in Tennessee and the way the leadership is structured – No one is going to do this without the governor's office. So in terms of whether or not Tennessee is going to join this effort, in my opinion, it is going to hinge 100 percent on whether or not the governor's office gives the
0: go ahead. Okay, so I have a challenge then to the governor and to those who signed that letter. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt for a moment. Right. Not a benefit of the doubt that you and I feel nor that our audience feels that we have to do because of the deception. But let's buy their argument for a moment that at the time they wrote that letter, they believed everything that they said. To be true, yeah. Well, lo and behold, everything we knew that had been suppressed and censored on Twitter has now been Mm. revealed to have been as we thought it was all along.
1: Mm. So they're operating under new information.
0: New information. So do you think that they will, A apologize to us for using false and incomplete information, and B, does this give them a second bite at the apple to say, you know what, as foolish as we think it was for them to have relied upon the quote-unquote misinformation, right, or or to not have used what we knew was true, even if they believe that, now that's all been debunked, so maybe they have a second opportunity to say, you're right, right? Everything we thought was true was actually not true. Now we have a new basis to be able to go forward and maybe tackle these issues.
1: You're you're 100% right. And on what you just said, I would say, and if they don't respond now, mm-hmm. then then we know exactly who they're working yes. for, and it's not the people of <clears throat> exactly.
0: Tennessee. Exactly. Right. Yep. With knowledge comes culpability. So now they can no longer claim yep. they didn't know. Well, Gary— Thanks for taking that quiz, and uh, you've brought in another great guest for us. Love the fact that we keep bringing in guests, and in our studio today is
1: yeah, Aaron Miller down from Mur, Mur, not Mari, not <laughs> Mari. Everybody, just so you know, here in Tennessee, Mari is Murray, Murray County, County. <laughs> and a new friend of mine actually, uh, Aaron Miller, recently met. Aaron, you were just recently. Uh, you're a, a new elected office holder, recently elected as a county commissioner, right, in Murray yes, sir. County. And uh, so I'll, I'll let you share a little bit about that. I'd love to hear, you know, just quickly why you ran, tell us about that experience. And then from that, want to jump into, boy, you, I will tell you, one of the things I respect about you is you wasted no time whatsoever from (laughs) getting elected and then jumping into the fray on protecting kids, defending our liberty, our constitution, and some things you got involved with with your local public library. But um, tell us about your run and then sort of take us into that story.
2: Sure. And thanks for having me, Uh, both of you. I I appreciate uh, the opportunity. So, Yeah, I'm Aaron Miller. Uh, I'm a 12 year veteran of the U.S. Air Force. Bachelor's degree in political science, master's degree in international affairs. Working on a master's degree in uh, management right now. Uh, I'm a glutton for punishment.
0: What did you do in the Air Force? Did you fly? No, sir.
2: Uh, I worked on the aircraft. I turned wrenches. I was a weapons troop, so we were in charge of maintaining the weapon systems and also loading the weapon systems. So missiles, bombs, guns—you know—we did it all. Three tours. Went to South Korea for a year. Uh, I'm married. I have a child. Uh, We've got three dogs, which. Is one too many, in my opinion. but <laughs> three, uh, It's three too many, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we love dogs, but not that much. I joke. But, uh, yeah, so, of course, on active duty, you're not allowed to become politically involved. Um, there's the Hatch Act. There are a lot of other things, but it comes down to a conflict of interest. Working for the federal government and particularly in the military, there has to be a separation built in between the military and the government for a lot of reasons that we probably don't have time to get into. But in any event, you're not allowed to get politically involved. Um and uh so you were you were chomping at the bit for a long time. I was for a very long time, mm-hmm. um, especially with my educational background. I knew that as soon as I separated from active duty, that's where I wanted to go. And a lot of my motivation for what I've done since then is built around the, the philosophy I have that if you have certain capabilities, you are morally obligated to do whatever you can with those capabilities to pursue uh, your principles and to pursue your values and to serve your community. So when I got out, I said, well, I've got this education. I'm a pretty smart guy. And I want to do good for my community. What's the first step in doing that? So I talked to a lot of local politicians. I talked to some state-level politicians. And they said, well, if you want to get into this, this arena, you got to start at the local level. And so county commission races were coming up. I said, sign me up. Let's go. And, um, man, it was a roller coaster. The campaign was nuts. There was just a lot of... It, it got a little
1: dirty. Were you were you going after an open seat or challenging an incumbent?
2: I was chancell- challenging an incumbent. Okay. Actually, right. in my race, I believe there were five of us that were all running. Uh, wow. So, of course, there were two Republicans. Which uh, is odd being that there was an incumbent. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He was running as an independent, okay. so I think that helped. But, yeah, it, it was rough. So I sort of waffled throughout the campaign like, man, I— I don't know if if politics is for me. I, it's not what I thought it was going to be. And uh, my good buddy, my my next door neighbor, we were uh, we were hanging out, and he said, "Man, the bug's going to bite you. You're going to get addicted to it. And like this will pass. You'll get through it." And sure enough, as soon as I got in and I started seeing what's going on, I see, started seeing the changes that needed to be made. And now I'm, I'm in a position to make those changes. And so you know, like he predicted, I the bug bit me. I'm ready to go. Uh, I'm raring. So now that I'm here. I'm starting to see that the swamp isn't just in D.C. It's on our state level. It's on our local levels in a lot of ways. And I am i don't mean to to demean my colleagues in the county commission. What I mean is I think a lot of folks hold the attitude of, well, I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to be, you know, that guy. They very much adhere to the fire alarm theory. So in in political science, the fire alarm theory is the idea that a politician isn't going to act unless their constituency pulls that proverbial fire alarm. They pull the fire alarm and say, hey, there's a problem. You have to address it. And unless that happens, nobody's going to do anything.
1: So as we were bringing bills to protect our medical freedom here over the last two years here in Tennessee... I just want to corroborate your story there. <laughs> when, as, as I brought before, before I ran against my current state senator, when I was trying to work with him, thinking that he might actually do something, and uh, the conversation was said to me, Gary, you know, you got to understand, man, the General Assembly doesn't fix anything until there's a problem. Oh, mm-hmm. so if you see the train coming— you mean we're not gonna do anything to reroute the train somewhere else. We're gonna wait till that freighter runs right through, smack dab through downtown, mm-hmm. smashes all the buildings, rips apart everything, and then the General Assembly is gonna come and save the day. That's preposterous. But that's that's exact that's exactly what I was told, and it's interesting you're that one of the first things you're told is Coming into uh, elected office is the same thing.
0: Yeah, and... and Kevin, I, does, does that sound like what you've seen here in Tennessee? <laughs> yeah, you know, you know the old saying about <clears throat> the government breaks my leg and then offers me a crutch. It's <laughs> exactly what happens. Wait for it to break then say that they are their savior, here we are to fix it. Yeah. Well, and especially in these times of such great fluidity, I mean, socially,
2: as far as the population is concerned, we've got people from out of state flooding into Tennessee. We have to be proactive in protecting our values. And one of the failures that I see within the Republican Party at all levels is that When we have power, we're extremely hesitant to use it, which I understand the the hesitancy. I mean, we don't want to go down that slippery slope of of tyranny and authoritarianism, which I'm against those things wholeheartedly. We also need to recognize that there are dangers that we're facing, especially ideologically in this country. I mean, we see the divide. We all know it's going on. We all know what's happening. But we're hesitant to go out there and do something about it proactively. We, we we wait to become reactive. And oftentimes by then it's too late, especially with the federal government. Once they've already decided that something's going to happen, what can a state level government do to counter that? You know, I mean, Florida is the exception, but I think for the most part, not very much. But I digress. As you alluded to, uh, we had some issues with the local library.
1: Yeah. And I want to preface that real quick as mm-hmm. we get into that. So you you made quite a name for yourself <laughs> jumping into this issue, and i I want to make the point as we dig into this, dive into this story, make sure all our listeners understand. Murray Murray County by no means I'm not trying to say it's insignificant or small. It's it's quite a growing county. I mean, it's it's in fact I want to feels like it's one of the fastest growing. I mean, places like Spring Hill and Columbia are just booming, yes, busting at the seams. However, uh, for all intensive purposes. Most of Murray County is a a fairly rural county. It would be a very conservative county, a county that you would say to yourself, nothing bad ever happens here, right? Mm -hmm. Yet, in Murray County, you're seeing as a county commissioner that your your local public library, as they're doing, I mean, from New York City to San Francisco to Murray County, Mm -hmm. right, are putting in these displays of all of this LGBT material aimed at our children Mm -hmm. tell us about that
2: yeah so first of all i want to clarify for the record this started back in june months before i was ever elected there was overlap in as far as the time horizons are concerned so by the end of it or at least what i think is the end i had been elected to office but every step that i took in this this saga was done in the capacity of a private citizen you know, I, I'm i very serious about avoiding any serious conflict of interest or, or abuse of, of my authority, whatever authority I may be given by the people. So back in June, this was sort of a, a, a random occurrence or providential, depending on your point of view. Uh, and we were told, my friend and I, Adam Martin uh, in town, were told that, hey, there's this there's this display in the local library. And I don't know, it looks kind of weird. Maybe you should check it out. And we said, OK, so we go over there and there's 28 books on a display front and center. You can't miss it. And every single book, is the the face is to the front on their own independent displays. And so we're looking at this and we're going, all of these books are written for kids. When you see an LGBT display, and, and so I want to push back a little bit, Gary, just because the characterization there is that it is an LGBT display, right? My concern is that if you see an LGBT display, you're thinking maybe there's a biography on Freddie Mercury or something. No. Every single one was written for children. And so we're going, this is a little weird. And so Adam and I checked out every single book. We took them home. We started flipping through them. We took pictures. We took notes. And some of the stuff in here was absolutely horrifying. So you have the relatively mundane stuff talking about post-colonialism and white privilege and all of these different things that you know are already inappropriate for children to be reading it because they can't understand it they can't they can't comprehend it. The left likes to say, well Crt is is a something you learn in a in a grad program and the right, technically, Crt in the strictest sense is taught at a at a uh, collegiate level, right but they will draw things out of Crt and inculcate it. Uh, into uh, other books, other materials. And this is called critical pedagogy. So pedagogy, of course, is the teaching of children. They take critical theory or concepts from critical theory and put it into pedagogy. So we're looking at these kinds of things, but then we get into these other books. This book is gay, I believe, is is the name of the worst uh, book that we pulled up. And in this book, uh, and we can... The title? The title of the book is This Book is Gay. This Book is Gay. And so in This Book is Gay, Gay... They talk about uh, gender fluidity and how to be trans and all these different things. And then there is an entire section, complete with diagrams, by the way, titled Boy-on-Boy Sex and Girl-on-Girl Sex. And there is explicit instructions on how to perform adult activities on one another. I'm not making... You can can look it up on Google. It's all there. So... We, we blew the whistle on this. We posted all of our pictures and our notes on Facebook, and we said, look at all of this stuff. One of the books— Because,
1: again, guaranteed, the fine folks of Murray County, for the most part— mm-hmm. Didn't know
2: about it. Had no idea. No idea. No idea. And some local officials—I'm not going to drop their names, of course, but local officials, we showed them, and they said, this is in our library? Yes. Our, Murray County—yes. Our local library in Murray County. They could not believe it. Some of the the books. One book, uh, I think it's a uh, "Be Amazing" by Desmond is amazing, who is who is a thirteen year old stripper. Yeah, I've
1: heard his story. He was on the Today Show as he that they brought him out at eleven years old. Yes to uh, dance on the today show and i mean it's sick mm. what they did to that kid mm.
2: yeah and then they say well it's it's well it's just a drag performance it's just dress up it's just well e- for an 11 year old and then it's progressed just in the last couple of three years to he takes off his clothes in front of adult men and they give him money that is stripping that's mm-hmm. not drag and you're doing it with a 13 year old so you had this there was another book that highlighted lgbt you know Heroes, if you will. Uh, and one of them was Harvey Milk, who is a known groomer and pedophile. Mm-hmm. So they're celebrating these topics, and it's just like I compare it to the marketing that's used with cereal boxes. It's bright colors. There are cartoon characters. There's all these different these different things specifically to draw the eye of children. Mm-hmm. And just like cereal boxes, a kid sees that in, the, in the, uh, the store. Mom, mom, dad, dad, I want that cereal box. I want that cereal box. They're drawn to it, mm-hmm. and it's the exact same marketing angle that they're using for these children. So we blew the whistle on it, and... <laughs> Over the next several days, there were Facebook groups created specifically to coordinate harassment on my posts, on on, uh, trolling my posts. So the initial post that I put all the information on, I think it ended up having like 3,000 comments. And these are from people around the country defending this stuff. They say, well, it's inclusive sex education. You know they they try to dandy it up with all of mm-hmm. these different terms. Let's call it what it is. it's grooming. you're sexually grooming children. you are exposing them to very incremental bits of gender ideology mm-hmm. or or queer theory their term not mine yep. by the way yep. you know all of these different things and that is grooming
1: and i want I want to break here and and kind of dig into that topic and then get to the the nuts and bolts like what happened, and then I mm-hmm. want to move into your mapping, Marxism because there's a lot to talk about. There is. But I just want to make the point, not only for our listeners, but but also as we're having these conversations out and about, and you and I talked about this when we had lunch or whenever it was. I mean, I support free speech. I support individual liberty. And the conversation always is, well, these horrible Christian conservatives trying to push their values on everyone. It's, it's yes, I do believe my my values are the right values. I think most of us believe that the values that we hold are the approach, why we hold them, because we believe that they're the right values. But this isn't what we're talking about right now. And what's happening with these drag performances out in not only in libraries, but now in public parks, these these book displays, what's happening in our schools. the The issue is not individual liberty or a freedom of speech issue the issue is that it is becoming used to it was it was conjecture it was theory it was you're lying this is a conspiracy theory but we're seeing now the evidence says they are coming after our children all of this is the drag queen performances the books the displays what we're doing in our schools, all of this clearly is aimed at children. And we we have a duty, we have a God-given duty, we have a constitutional duty, we have a, a moral obligation, a legal duty
0: to defend the rights of children. Yes, uh, and, and remember, the American principle, the American idea is liberty under law. It is ordered liberty, right? It is freedom under God that has a framework. It doesn't just mean anarchy, do as you please. So we can fully defend freedom of speech and shut down things that are dangerous to children and immoral without those ideas being in conflict with one another.
2: That's exactly right. In fact, I I would go as far as to say you know, a lot of my friends are are left libertarian, if you will, which I don't believe actually exists. But that's a longer philosophical conversation. They believe in liberty absent a moral compass, and you can't have you you can't have those be exclusive. read my
0: book, and you'll know exactly why that doesn't make any sense.
1: Kevin wrote a book on that called okay. "The Apologetics for Liberty" and singular apologetic, apologetic for, like, for. As liberty. I said that, I realized that and. and uh, Actually, it's apologetic for Liberty, or is it just apologetic? It's an apologetic right. for yep, Liberty. Yep, yep. I'm pulling a okay. copy
0: out for Aaron. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate
1: it. So Aaron gets a copy, you get a copy, everybody gets a copy. <laughs> uh, seriously, though, uh, we we sent that out to all of our, our supporters. If uh, if you would like a copy of Kevin's book, An Apologetic for Liberty, which I highly suggest that you get, send us an email at info at and we will send you a copy for of free. Kevin's book for, for free. free.
2: So. Well, I certainly appreciate that. Um, yeah, so I mean, absent a moral compass, where where are we going with this? You just it leads to to hedonism and cultural degeneracy, social de- degeneracy, and when it gets to the point where, listen, if you want to do these things in the privacy of your own home with other adults and you aren't hurting anyone, man, knock yourself out. But once you start targeting the most vulnerable members of our population, our children, the least of these, is is Jesus Christ said. What are, we, what are we doing as a society? Where is the line? And for a lot of these folks that are uh, apologists for this sort of thing, I don't think they have a line. I think it's constantly the next thing, the next thing, and they're never satisfied. That certainly seems to be the case. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't see any evidence to the contrary so far. Everybody thought, I mean, I say everybody, many
1: people thought that 2015 the Obergefell decision was well let's just give them gay marriage. Mm-hmm. Why can't we just let love be love and let them have marriage and this will be the end of it. We can just all go back to being kind to each other and they're just they'll go off and get married and do their own thing and and those of us who knew what was happening, right? Not only in our country but around the world knew that this was that Obergefell was was only the beginning. It was mm-hmm. it was not the
0: end. And remember, the church the evangelical church was a large part of that acquiescence at that time in 2015, mm-hmm. saying, mm-hmm. Christians, we don't need to be worried about this. Just So it's, it's one thing for our culture to have done that, but for the moral foundation of our culture to have gone along with that. Yeah. Well, and, and I'm glad you pointed that out because this is something
2: I sort of rail on in, in my lectures is that w- the reason we're in this position is we as conservatives and right-wing libertarians, we have abdicated the social spaces. This is the reason why somebody was allowed to become a library director and promote these things. is because we have, we, we've gone into our homes and we've turned on Fox News or we share a meme on Facebook and we say, my job here is done. <laughs> or we go into our churches on Sunday morning and we
0: shut the doors and we pretend like the, the world outside isn't there. Or if you talk to most of our legislators, they will tell you that if it's business and low taxes – that's all that matters <laughs> right
1: yeah that's all that's all everyone's concerned about is is low taxes uh clearly we live in an and look kevin i I like low taxes,
0: amen to that, <laughs> but
1: there's a lot more going on right now, <laughs> exactly, uh, so let's get to what happened yeah um, you we won mm-hmm. i mean, in a sense, I think on this issue, I can say in Murray county, you caused. You caused so much pain, Aaron, <laughs> that, that the library director resigned. He, could, well, he deb- couldn't, de- couldn't take it.
2: Depending on who you ask, I'm, I'm you know uh, borderline genocidal, and I'll, I'll touch on that here in a second. I, I know I'm a bit long-winded. I apologize. Uh, so, he, so he resigned. He resigned. That
1: gave you an opportunity to move the ball forward with a new director. Yes. Make some policy changes.
2: And that's still in, in the works right now. So the way it works in Murray County is the county commission appoints a library board and the board is responsible for hiring and and sort of the the employment side of the library. So obviously, this was a sort of shot across the bow saying, hey, listen, here's the line. If you didn't know where it was before, which apparently they didn't, now they know where it is. And, and we will be keeping a close eye on that. So yeah, as you say, we formed a protest. I gave a public statement and said, as a father, husband, and concerned citizen, here are my issues with this. I call for this individual to resign, and I want answers from the library board about how this happened. I still haven't gotten answers from the library board, but he did resign. Mm-hmm. So as a result of that, I got TikTok famous. Uh, there's there's an individual in Murray County who is very plugged into a lot of leftist circles, and uh, we're digging more into that, I assure you. Um, I won't say too much sure, on that front. Surely that wouldn't be the Murray holler, would it? He is um, he's related
1: to the um, Murray Holler. I'm very familiar with the Holler and the Murray Holler and the this holler. Yeah, I know those
2: guys. So he he is plugged in with them. Um we have reason to believe that he's plugged in with national organizations as well. You
1: know, they 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 formed the Murray Holler specifically for now congressman andy ogle so uh, maybe they have a new they have a new target, new target. <laughs> they they've
2: come after me they've called they've been calling me a bigot for months yeah. uh, so you know call me what you like i don't care what your opinion is of me but uh, the, the
1: library director's gone and the display's gone mm-hmm. yeah so
2: there so i went i went viral on tiktok thanks to one individual uh, there is there is an unhinged Several unhinged individuals at the following library board meeting that called me every name in the book. The waterworks started. Um, you know they were screaming and pointing at me, which during a public comment that is totally against etiquette. Uh, the library board fumbled the ball on that big time, but they take a thirty-second clip from that and they put it on TikTok and it gets nine million views. It was shared on Twitter by Jen Sackey, I believe Jennifer Aniston. Uh, there was one other individual. Just another one of the worst people, but people watch the thirty. Alyssa second... Milano Oh, pro... I hope so. <laughs> I honestly hope so. I'll add that to my tally. But um, in any event, somebody watches a thirty-second clip and they believe they have the entire story. Yeah. And of course, during a public comment, I'm not allowed to respond to any of this, so I'm just standing against the wall, going, "Okay, I mean, what you got next?" And then the the following commission meeting. Some of the same individuals called for me to resign. There's an ethics complaint out against me. I'm really looking forward to that being thrown out as the frivolous case that it is. So that was the whole thing. I got hundreds of phone calls, hundreds of emails from people across the country. I got death threats. People threatened to call CPS and have my child taken away from me. These are vicious, vicious people. But what I learned going through all of this is that if you can hold your ground and weather the storm, they can't hurt you. They can't hurt you. You find a support system that is going to support you spiritually and morally, financially if you have to, if it if it goes to a legal uh, arena, whatever the case may be. But if you back down, and God forbid if you apologize, they will come after you even harder because you just, you just bled into the yeah. water.
0: Yeah, and, and again, going back to the Twitter, the change in the Twitter universe over the past month or two, it ought to be obvious to those who didn't already know – the operation of bots, and the the outsized voice that very few people have. So we have congressmen, legislators, governors, agencies, businesses in our community making decisions upon fears mm-hmm. of, quote-unquote, what's happening in Twitter, when 80 to 90 percent of them are not even real. Mm-hmm.
2: That's right. Well, and, and Elon really flushed that out when he started saying there's a theory that uh, when he put the poll up about uh, you know bringing trump back yeah
0: exactly it won by <clears> like one person the
2: bots there yeah exactly and then the follow-up uh, <laughs> poll was about you know bringing back the the folks that had been in permanent twitter jail and and the difference between those votes it was like 1% win versus like 30 or 40 so the idea is through those polls he was flushing the bots out and sort of cleaning house i'm a big fan of that mm-hmm. i hope that continues yeah. Uh, but yeah that was that was my story as far as the library is concerned yeah
1: so so now i'm see every time i uh, open facebook now there's a there's a new post of uh mapping marxism yes uh, is all the rage now seemingly yeah in I, conservative circles and i i'm, I'm excited for you it's mm-hmm. it's a great I, I know people are really excited about having that conversation so tell us a little bit about about that,
2: Yeah, yeah. The response for Mapping Marxism has been absolutely overwhelming. Um, I, I'm so thankful for the folks that have reached out and wanted, wanted me to have this. So Mapping Marxism is a lecture I put together a while ago uh, with a lot of the organizations I work with. They're looking for materials that they can easily send out to their audiences. And so I put together this slideshow. And the idea is that you can map, you know, wink, wink, the philosophical evolution of the ideology, ideology of Marxism. And then subsequent to that, me and several of my friends, two of whom I served with, formed a nonprofit called the Foundation for Liberty and Freedom. And so the mission is to activate, mobilize, and engage people. Those are the three steps for cultural, social, and political change. So the mission of the FLF is to get into that activate side. And we activate through education. So uh, you can go to foundlf.org and look at the whole mission statement there and all of that sort of thing. But the third pillar of this is adult education. So we want to create workshops, training workshops, uh, so that people feel equipped to go out into the community and, and affect change. And we have our lectures that uh, we're forming right now. So the first one is Mapping Marxism. And as I said, it's it's tracking the the philosophical evolution of Marxism. Uh, I'm working on several others right now. The idea is that if someone contacts me and says, hey, we'd like you to present, they can choose the, from the lectures a la carte, whether they want to talk about foreign policy or economics or Marxism. But right now, Marxism's the hot the hot thing, man. People love it. So wait, wait. wait. They love your mapping Marxism. <laughs> yes.
0: They don't love Marxism. I mean, I know there are some who do.
2: But. Yeah, so depending on the audience, some people love Marxism. Bring but... this
0: guy out! We love Marxism!
2: <laughs> <laughs> but, but sort of a deeper understanding, and, and there's clearly a hunger for more understanding of this ideology. What what I found was that a lot of people will say, that guy's a communist, this is communist, that's Marxist, and they're right, but they may be slapping a label on it without understanding why they're correct. And i found that once people are further educated on this and more well-informed, they become emboldened. They become activated. So the idea is I draw parallels between each evolutionary step and then a real-world historical example of what the direct results of that step are. So people are wondering, why are these people grooming our kids? Why are these people focusing on collegiate students for their base? Why is this and that happening in modernity? And I say, this has been going on for 100 years. Look at this history. Look at this is where it formed. This is where it happened 30 or 40 years ago. This is where it's happening now. One perfect example of that that I I touched on early on is I don't actually start with Marx. I start with Jean-Jacques Rousseau, who was an Enlightenment-era philosopher, and he created this worldview, uh, this idea that human beings are basically good. In a state of nature, they're good. It's society that makes them bad. It's culture that makes them do evil things. So in order to work around that, we have to tear down society, pull it out by the root, and then rebuild it and will, quote-unquote, do it right. And the idea is, if utopia is possible, then any cost to reach utopia is justifiable. That's their philosophy. And the direct result of that was the French Revolution, and it was the Cambodian genocide.
1: And, and it's, it's interesting that that includes any human cost, which philosophically boggles the mind, because you're trying to reach utopia perceivably for the sake of, of
2: humanity
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) by killing humans exactly i'm like you guys are stupid
2: but gary it's a justifiable sacrifice for the workers paradise right you know that's that's the that's their creed if we reach this point then any sacrifice is is justifiable uh you see this in in stalin's purges or the holodomor when when five million ukrainians were starved to death uh you see this in how he would send hundreds of thousands of people into Siberia to build a workers' camp so that they could further industrialize Russia and sort of shoehorn it into Marxist Marxist ideology, the Communist Manifesto. You know, you see it over and over again, this disregard for human life. This is a pattern in this ideology. But again, it's all built on this worldview that utopia is possible in the first place. So
0: any cost is justifiable, including human. Well, not only that it always gets to this age-old question. This is the big stumbling block, and that is, who decides, right? Who mm. is the measuring stick? And and just like the skeptic is always skeptical of everything ex- except his own skepticism, right? Those who advance Marxism and critical theory are critical of everything except their own theory as to how society ought to be retransformed, And so it's philosophical gobbledygook. It's totally irrational. And they even talk about questioning rationality. Well, if you're going to talk about questioning rationality, then I don't have to be rational. So you mm. can't make a moral claim on me about my positions and my views being different than yours. So fundamentally, it's, it's completely flawed. And mm. so if you continue to teach what you teach, this is how people are going to come to the realization that, wait a second, all we're fighting is, it, it's really a fairy tale, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's like elementary philosophy, and people need to have the courage to withstand it because it's always accompanied by violence. It's accompanied by personal attacks, ad hominems, we're going to destroy your business. Um, and that's what generates this fear in people, isn't it? It is. Well, you know, Mao Tse Tung said politics comes out of the barrel of a gun. You know, I'm paraphrasing, but
2: you get the idea. It is ultimately backed by violence. It always is, it always has been, it always will be. And that, that's something else that I touch on in my lecture is you have uh, something called the Red Guard under Mao Tung during his cultural revolution. And what he did was he radicalized the college students and he said, you're going to be my Red Guard. You're going to go out into the country, including the, the countryside, and you're going you're gonna to do what's called um, uh, struggle sessions. And so a struggle session is where they would take someone who was a a class traitor or a cultural traitor or whatever else and publicly torture them until they started, quote unquote, confessing to their sins against the proletariat, their sins against, uh, you know, communism or whatever else, against the party. White guilt and, and white privilege. So in 2017, Evergreen College in Washington state, this is where... Uh, uh, Eric Weinstein became uh, famous is these students at one of the most liberal colleges in the country armed themselves with bats and crowbars and, and forced professors into their offices and forced yep. them to confess yep. to their white privilege, to their race, the inherent racism, to this, that, and the other thing, to their, their privilege of whatever kind. That is the Red Guard. That is the Red Guard. This isn't, this isn't the 1950s. This is in, the, in 2017 in America. This is happening right mm-hmm. now.
1: And in all of that, it's important to note, when you look at that history and look at what Marxism and communism requires, it is God's design for liberty that you realize is innately built into human nature. And in order to even hope to approach, right, compliance with these Marxist ideologies, you have to beat that innate desire for liberty out of mm-hmm. the individual, even if it requires you to do it by force. And that alone should be informative in and of itself that the founder's design, God's design for liberty, for freedom that currently rests in our constitution is the moral order, which in fact is superior to everything that's existed to this point in in the world. And, um, I, I was just—I was really grappling with that as you were saying. They'll—they'll they'll go when you were saying. You know, Marxists will go to to any ends. Well, it's because it's because you have to, right? Right, because you have to defeat what already is innately built into humanity to even begin to have the beginnings of some semblance of uh, acquiescence to this foreign idea to,
0: to almost every individual. Well, yeah, in, and it—and it didn't find. Obviously, in recent times, it's found its expression since Rousseau and Marx and whatnot. But we know that it's begun since the beginning of time, right? It began in the Garden of Eden when mm-hmm. Satan said to Eve, did God really say, right? Right at that moment, you had the challenge of, and, and actually, Satan had already been cast out of heaven for wanting to be God, right? Mm-hmm. This is exactly what's happening, and we see it manifested in these in a modern sense, but the root of it all is the root of the problem from eternity. It's always been that way and it's always going to be that way until Christ returns.
2: Well, and this is the divide, as you say. We understand that humans are, are inherently fallen creatures because of the fall. So, we understand that utopia is not possible for us. Uh, you know, sort of the the inverse to Rousseau was Thomas Hobbes. He said, in a state of nature, man is violent and distrustful and brutish. This is to say, if we were dropped into the forest and we didn't know each other, we only have the clothes on our backs. If I see you, you know, Know picking berries or whatever in, in, a, in a clearing, I'm not going to be like, hey, what's going on, man? I'm going to watch you, figure out what you're about. Maybe it's easier for me to just kill you and take your stuff <laughs> than it is to pick berries myself. That That is humanity in a state of nature. And as soon as we understand that, we can start building an actual civilization or an actual society that has inherent moral values. But as I say, on the inverse, if you believe the humans are naturally good and you
0: can just, oh, if you just do it the right way, then, then we can have utopia. But even there, they contradict themselves because while they will claim to be good themselves, they will use the vilest of terms to describe you and me as mm. not good, right? We don't, even, we don't even qualify as human beings, which is the danger, so that they don't even have to give us an argument anymore.
1: Right. And this is a great place. I don't know why. I really don't. I, I, it's not morbid it's it's just i'm i'm always enthralled at the way they under the the way you can see they really understood what they were doing and they understood humanity at this this is federalist 6 I, I talk about this all the time <laughs> alexander hamilton in his in federalist 6 when he's talking about you know the need for government and and because of the need for checks and balances because of how they understood the fallen nature and the depravity of man Alexander Hamilton says of men, they are ambitious, vindictive, and rapacious. And if you understand that about our humanity, then you innately know that there is no hope for utopia and for socialism and all these ideas to ever work because it's simply not who we are. Therefore, you need checks and balances. You need accountability. You need a constitution, right? You need the ability to always check those who are in power Mm -hmm. over you. It is necessary for the flourishing of humanity because it's who we are.
2: Absolutely. I want to touch on what you said uh, a few minutes ago about like sort of People turning a blind eye to certain things. I, I think it's interesting with my with my international affairs background, we talked about different cultural bases. Uh, so for example, you look at uh, Confucian societies, like a lot of those in Asia, they have a predisposition to being more concerned with the community than the individual. Um, you know, I spent a year in South Korea, absolutely loved it. Some of the most polite and hardworking people I've ever met, the South Koreans. But they are very communally oriented. So it's easier for them to adopt something that is more communal or, or uh, collective in nature. And I think that's why there is a lot of uh, a history of communism in Asian countries. We also need to recognize something similar in the U.S. We have disparate political cultures across the U.S. It used to be a lot more um, clear. Like, you could look at the Northeast and say, oh, you know, those Yankees, they're all blue, they're all blue. More they're homogenous." All yeah, yeah, exactly. But we're seeing a lot of that mix, and we see states going purple, like potentially Texas and, of course, Georgia. But we need to recognize that there are people that are okay with being ruled. And we do have people, and this is something I wrestle with, are, are we that value freedom? Are we in the minority or the majority? And I, I don't know. Um, but, which, is why, which
1: is why, to your point earlier, ed- education is so important. Yes. We well, because,
0: it. again, three weeks in a row, we'll make the point that in this last election, Gen Z voted D plus 28, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that that's absolutely underscores the necessity of what you're doing.
1: Credit to public education. Yeah, yeah
0: exactly. Well, and, and interestingly enough, you
2: know, to, toot my horn again, uh, you've got George Lukacs, who was a Hungarian Marxist in the 1950s, and he was the deputy commissar of education. And so he said, well, if the government has your children for the majority of their waking hours anyway, why don't we use that?
1: Well, Aaron, it was uh, it was a pleasure having you on today. And, I, and I'll just, I'll, I'll turn it over to Kevin, but I'll just say, man, I am... We're sitting here thinking, how refreshing is it to have a? Uh, I mean, just think about it. Really, the I mean, if, if if we could multiply that out county to county. I mean, you've got a Murray County Commissioner here. Not to belittle that in any in any sense of what I'm saying, sure. But you've got a county commissioner in Murray County who has such a fundamental and foundational understanding of these issues that we're discussing. Traveling the state, talking about the dangers of Marxism, it gives me a little bit of hope.
0: <laughs> it does. <laughs> you know? the, the only, the only counter to that is that is how every American used to be. Mm. This was, this was not only expected; it's how it was. Right. Mm. The fact that you are rare is a problem, mm, or absolutely. or it gives evidence of the problem. Well, let me let me talk about communism in a different way. Uh, we have a little segment here, Aaron, that we call the China Cabinet, which has gotten so overblown with material every week that we kind of call <laughs> it the China Closet. <clears throat> sure. So let me end with this today. This is straight from Center for Security Policy, and uh, this is actually Frank Gaffney's piece today, little squib. According to retired U.S. spy and lifelong patriot Sam Faddis, Joe Biden is what? A controlled asset mm. of Chinese intelligence. No! <laughs> <laughs> I know, I'm not, I'm not breaking news. I didn't claim to be breaking news. All right. Uh, according to his son, Hunter's laptop, there are plenty of evidence for this, of course. So... If you don't know, if you don't follow the Center for Security Policy, they've been out at the cutting edge of a couple of issues. Um, about 10, 15 years ago, they were on the cutting edge. It still are, but it doesn't get as much attention on the threat of Islam and political Islam in America in particular. And they've also been out on in front of all these Chinese issues for a number of years. So I highly recommend – you can go to their seminars, you can go to their webinars, you can get their material for really inexpensively. They write about a bunch of books quickly and, and produce them very quickly. But they did a, web- a webinar recently called the Present, uh, China Committee on Present Danger. And it was talking about this post, you know, again, we already knew these things from Hunter's Laptop, but now it's becoming more public knowledge, or at least the public is admitting that they know this now, although the media, of course, won't admit it. And the point I'm leading to here and what um, Frank Gaffney makes clear is that what just happened in the, I don't know if you follow it this week, there's an obscure federal agency called the PCAOB, right? It's the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board. There had been a lot of movement, especially since the Trump administration, it kind of trickled out over the last couple of years to delist communist parties or, par- or or businesses like Alibaba and others that we know are controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. Obviously, any Chinese company is owned and controlled by the Communist Party. You cannot, there's no such thing as a free company in China. Well, because these companies were raising money off of U.S. investors, the idea was, well, why are we funding our enemy? Why are we allowing Americans, in particular, Americans... Service men's retirement accounts going to fund through organizations like BlackRock, funding these Chinese communist companies that are funding our defeat. So the talk was delist, delist, delist. And actually what happened yesterday was bad news because they didn't delist. The reason they didn't delist is because this PCAOB, again, the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board, came to an agreement with the Chinese Communist Party that they would allow two entities to audit these companies. And by auditing, now they can look at their records and make sure that they're not accounting outside of U.S. standards, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Well, wouldn't you know, the two companies that were chosen to audit... Who, who's on the board? So, who's well, on the board? <laughs> so one company is based in Hong Kong, right? <laughs> which, which, although it used to be free, is no longer free, right? It's controlled by China, and that's those doors are closing. And the other one, it's a Chinese audit firm that is doing the auditing of these Chinese companies to make sure that they're in compliance. So all good, right, Gary? It's
1: just incredible.
0: <laughs> Who conducted the audits, Joe? <clears throat> it's like the fox guarding the hen house. This is what we mean by, and we knew this, when Biden was selected as the operative to run and to fill that position of president of the United States, he was a controlled asset. We knew that he was a controlled asset. We knew that he was completely vulnerable to all of these machinations, and here we have proof, proof positive, we're not going to delist. So as of today, if you have money in commercial accounts, if you have money investment banks, look very carefully to make sure, A, shouldn't be associated with BlackRock at all, and to the extent any of your money is going to companies like Alibaba and whatnot, get them out because they are funding our enemy.
1: Yeah, and the, the promise to audit for accountability, we know, is... Not really providing any accountability Exactly.
0: Yep. And, and if you want to know the truth of that, if you read the Chinese reports, not that I can read Chinese, but if you read the English translation of the Chinese reports, the Chinese Communist Party was what? Relieved not to have been delisted. <laughs> so we've relieved our enemies. Yeah,
1: that's great. It's funny you said uh, selected. A couple of weeks ago, I was writing a, a commentary on elections and I have a a program, you know, kind of plugged into Word and plugged into everything I write in a browser that's always spell checking. And when I when I typed out the word elected, it the grammar <laughs> program changed the word to, to selected.
0: selected.
1: <laughs> I was like, wow, wow that amazing. just happened. This was amazing. Anyway.
0: That's awesome. So uh, in light of the fact that this is our pre-Christmas episode, I've queued up a little music to take us out from Mr. Producer. <laughs>
1: Oh, I'm excited.
0: You know, it's getting close. Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas to you. Aaron, thanks Thanks for for joining us. Have a great Christmas, everyone. Let this roll a little bit.
2: I don't know if there'll be snow, but have a cup of
1: cheer. Have a holly, jolly Christmas. And when you walk down the street, say hello to friends you know and everyone you meet.
0: If you'd like to learn more about Tennessee Stands, visit tennesseestands.org to donate, volunteer, or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of Tennessee. You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. As Thomas Paine reminded us, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigue of supporting it.